0: Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Lockie Bradford.
1: And I'm Robbie Hicks. On today's episode, we're lucky enough to sit down with the man, the myth, the legend, Geelong Player Development Manager, Mark Worthington. Your old teacher, Lock. I'll tell you what, we had plenty in common and we got to hear his thoughts on how you were as a student too.
0: Yeah, all good things, mate. All good things. He didn't throw me under the bus, which I was pretty happy about, but uh, we touch on a lot of important stuff in this uh, episode, don't we, Rob? I mean, Uh, you know, reflecting back on your Richmond days and compared to what it was like um, back then to what it is like now and his role at Geelong and and the sort of development sort of stuff he does is pretty incredible, isn't it?
1: What's just the 360 degree of an athlete? So he talks, Mark specifically focused on things outside of, uh, off the field. So um, surrounding the player with the support they need to be the best version of themselves. And I just think when you talk about culture and high performance and well being and, all the things that we give a shit about. Uh, I just I absolutely love this chat. There's so much gold for people who are listening, who may not be in the sports world, but who want to apply this back to their life in, in their companies that they work for and figure out how do we create a high performance culture? What is involved and how do we get people uh, playing or performing at their peak of abilities? Oh, yes.
0: I like that. You'll just have to tune in to find out. Hey, we're live. We are live. Mark Worthington, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, beautiful Saturday uh, afternoon. Lucky Rob, thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Oh mate, it's, uh, we're, we're sitting in Robbie's little uh, bedroom here and we're huddled around a, a desk and we're excited to dive into some to some deep stuff today. It's not my bedroom, it's definitely the study. Well, it's, one of the, it's a bedroom in the house though. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I was getting technical. Yeah, it's good. So, it's so good. For, the, for the people um, uh, listening at home... Uh, Mark and I go way back. Uh, you taught me, what was it, 11 years ago at Cedar? Yep. And uh, yeah, you were my graduate year, I think I think 2010, so you guided me through my, my youth, I would say, and um, we thought, why not get the great man on and pick his brain about what he's doing at the moment and his journey and his story. So for those listening at home, who are you and what do you do?
2: Yeah, great question. And, and 11 years ago, is, um, it's amazing to reflect back on that. Um, And you think about where you've come now, where I've come, but mainly where you've come and and your classmates and all the other guys that uh, went to Cedar. Um, I'm sure we'll touch on Cedar as this podcast goes on, but who am I? Um, It's a good question, and it's a question I ask a lot of people I work with, Um, and I suppose i like to describe myself as a uh, a dad, as a husband, um, as a sports lover, uh, as a person who loves people. Um, I think I'm really loyal to my friends and family. Uh, that's something something truly dear to me, and, and since we've moved away from home and lived away from home more and more, our friends have become even more important to, to my family and I, and we might touch on that later, but that's who I describe myself as, um, and then I'm employed. So at the moment, I'm the um, player development manager at the John Football Club, um, or previous to that, I was a school teacher, and that's where we crossed paths 11 years ago, but that's the employment part of my life, but the, the, um, the real me is the, is the dad and the husband.
0: Does that sort of transfer into what you do for work, though, in terms of I know it's separate, but like the skills in the caring sort of side? Like, I know we just said it right before we went on air, but it was more like the care that you have for the players, and I suppose the balance with the family and your identity and all that sort of stuff. How have you found that this sort of job juggling it with a young family?
2: Yeah, it's, um, it certainly transfers, and, and I guess what I'm trying to do with the players, and we'll get deeper into my role at the, at the club. Um, but I'm trying to work on them and on their non-athletic identity and what they do outside just the game and the game's not everything and it shouldn't define them and I guess that's the same with me I shouldn't be defined just by where I work and and what my job is um, I should be defined on what I'm doing at home as well and how I'm bringing my kids up and how I treat my family and friends and my wife um, and they're all those important things and, and that's what I'm trying to work the players on and you know get delve deeper into who they are and who they really are and care for them as as people rather than athletes.
1: Mate, when we had that when we met for I met for you for the first time, we went out for a coffee at Bomboras. Was it Bomboras?
0: Yeah, uh, I don't think it was a coffee. I think it was a couple of beers, wasn't it?
1: No, it was a conf- it was a coffee first then beers. Oh it was, yeah, wasn't it yeah. But we left that I left up. that phone, I left that phone call. Left that conversation just so pumped no wonder like Locke and Hamish and, and Jim have spoken so highly of you is that I was just so energized from that conversation. I felt like when I was in the system playing footy, I didn't have, there wasn't anyone like you. It surrounded me. And It was it maybe like junior development stuff. And then when I got into like playing for Richmond, I didn't feel like and uh, the support that you offer and the things that we're going to touch on existed. i was just so pumped to know that the, the, I guess the league has transitioned into that and putting value on how important the, like the holistic approach to player development. Malik, I know you're going to go into your five domains, but it's just exciting to know that that's where things have progressed to. Is it, is it cool for you to see?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I wasn't lucky enough, like yourself, to uh, to make it as an elite athlete, but I'm an absolute sport lover, and you know, played sport as a junior, and to see um, how the elite athletes are now. Treated um, on and off the field and their development and the emphasis on individual development. I can't speak for what happened previous to my time or what happened at other clubs but I know at the Geelong Footy Club um, and AFL players um, or the AFL clubs across the whole league because of the AFL Players Association um, there's a lot of time and effort put into the players and the development of them um, and their holistic um approach to life and their development to life i mean we talk around their personal brand and their off-field development but their well-being um their family life um you know, i mean they're only in the game for a short period of time and it'd be uh, remiss of us not to spend time on developing them as people while they're in the game to to set for life after and it does it, it energizes me it's it's not too different to um teaching at cedar where you got to work with 25 young people um, they just tend to be elite athletes at the, at the moment. Um, but yeah, you're still working with the, the person.
1: So for those who are listening and don't know what Cedar is, take us back. What is Cedar? Tell us about your background because you're, you're, you're an educator and you've moved across into working with elite athletes. How did that happen? So tell us your journey from Cedar through to how you ended up at the Cats. Yeah,
2: awesome. Um, so like I said, I, I am, um, well, I didn't actually say it at the start, I'm from Wangaratta originally um and you know i grew up playing a lot of sports um like you do in the country town and and for me probably sport was my biggest motivational passion growing up um and education i was i was okay at school i wasn't great at school so if somehow this gets to any of my teachers they probably <laughs> laugh that i i become a teacher um but i was i was passionate about other things i was passionate about sport and the world of sport and and um you know the things that were associated to it and I ended up going on and getting my teaching degree and became a secondary teacher um, in PE Health and Humanities. And just uh, when I graduated, um, CETA started, which stands for Sports Education Development Australia, and it really um, sung to what I thought education was about, and that's finding the passion of the the person and, and educating them on that. And so it was set up and designed by a bloke by the name of Robbie Flower, and others, the, the Melbourne legend, um, the ex-Melbourne Football Club legend, and and he really wanted to use sport as the driver to keep young people engaged um, in school, and that might have been year 11 and 12 students that weren't, they weren't what you would say, um, academic focused to the natural VCE. I think there was a misconception that these people or these students um, weren't good at school or were disengaged with school. They were just motivated in a different, in a different way, um, and, you know, Lockie's...
0: Um, I felt like it was made for me, to be honest. And all my friends, like that's where I found my tribe. Like my friends for life, I met at Cedar. You know what I mean? And it was all like it was like everyone from all different areas, like a melting pot, coming together and learning stuff that you never would have learned at school because you, you, like you said, you wouldn't want to learn that way. Like I couldn't learn that way. I wasn't surrounded by people who could talk to me in a way that I understand. You know?
2: Yeah, and we got to go and we, we were associated with the state sporting bodies, and that was already we had something in common. So the day I walked in at Windy Hill to teach Lock in his classmates we knew that we had something in common um, and were able to build trust, build rapport on the back of that rather than a natural curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, I got to know Lockie as the person, uh, he got to know me and the insights and that was with all the students at at Cedar. And Some of the things that those guys have now gone on for what was perceived as a disengaged um, bunch of students that couldn't make any mainstream VCE. They're doing unbelievable things. And and Lockie's obviously one of those. And there's so many other um, case studies of of people that have gone on to do amazing things. And that motivated me and that really drive me. um, Because I often say, you know, people say, is it good to be able to change people's lives? I don't change people's lives at all. Um, I'm in the fortunate position to be able to ask questions, motivate, challenge their thinking, to potentially have an influence on them changing their life and those students when they decided not to do year 11 and 12 and make a really courageous decision to jump into a school that was unknown and had no history um those guys made a decision to change their life that day and i was just able to play a role in that and a motivating role in that and i think that's um really powerful and i think that's why people become teachers and and now i get to do similar at the footy club um where i can just be curious, ask a lot of questions of them, of the players, um, and, uh, and see what they, they get out and find out what their passions are outside just the, the wins, wins and losses on a, on a game day.
0: Because you were, you were working, uh, didn't you get handpicked by Robbie to, to teach the Melbourne Demons players, I think, like a couple of days a week? So that would have been the first taste of working with AFL players and stuff like that. How did that go back then? Is that when it's like, I can really connect with these types of people too, like this is something I can pursue further?
2: Yeah, you're right. So Robbie Flower obviously had the connection at the Melbourne Footy Club and um, one day a week, myself and another another teacher went in there and taught them the Diploma of Sport Development um, and that was it. That was my first exposure to the elite athletes um, from an education point of view and um, I guess from that, that really drummed up another level of interest to me of, wow, this could be another pathway um, rather than just mainstream schooling. Um, this was something that I guess really sparked my interest in that what you call a high-performance culture. And Dean Bailey um, was the coach back then at the time. And, and Dean, for me, um, especially Rob, even though Dean and I didn't have a, a real um, intimate relationship, where he would come into the class a lot and motivate the players to stay engaged in something else. And I guess that was really powerful for me to see guys trying to get wins on the weekend actually um, buy a lot of time into his players um, doing their study. And, and that was then he really, um, yeah, sparked an interest in me to think, you know what, I want to set my journey on on becoming a player development manager. Um, I wasn't about to give up teaching then because I still loved it. I loved the nine to three with the students, but it was definitely something that really sparked an interest then to go, okay, if I get this opportunity down the track or what do I need to keep doing to make sure if those opportunities pop up, um, I could be the man for the job. I love
1: love that. that. I love that. Before you move on though, mm. take us back before we move on from Cedar, what was Locke like as a student? Let the let people in it, nice, let them know. Nah, nice don't be nice. Be, be be truthful. All oh, nice things. I was nice. Nah, no, oh. Locke
2: was great. Uh, and I know you're going to think I'm just going to say that, but... Don't blow smoke I, um, We probably weren't that <laughs> far off in age either. I think I would have probably yeah. been... I don't know. Maybe I was 26 or something at the time. Yeah, so there wasn't a whole lot of age difference. And maybe I still thought I was 18 at the time. But... <laughs> And um, so it wasn't your traditional teacher-student relationship, but it was a fun class. Um, if we look back on it now, if I uh, have some self-reflection, maybe I didn't teach um, to the letter of the law with the, uh, <laughs> the curriculum, but we had a good time and we had a lot of laughs. Um, yeah, it was. there uh, were a good bunch of boys.
0: So. I feel pretty lucky, to be honest. Like that, I often reflect back and go, Cedar was actually a turning point, like you said, for my life. And um, I think that was just, you learn other skills. It doesn't always have to be the... The stuff that's on the paper and stuff like that. It's like, how do you talk to people? How do you connect with people? How do you? That was the first probably time I would connect with someone older. You know what I mean? And and teaching me different sort of things. So I don't know. I'd know speak for Hamish and stuff like that. It was really we could tell that we learnt a lot by just being ourselves and stuff. It was a really unique learning environment. So I can only imagine what you're doing at the cats. The good work, I suppose, that you're doing at the cats and. You can tell. I saw there was a little article in the Wang. Was it the Wang Chronicle or something? Oh, yeah. It was.
2: It was. Yeah. It was a big
0: double page spread on it. <laughs> yeah, we keep
2: that. I uh, that pretty quiet. I haven't let anyone <laughs> at the uh, club see that article. So I hof- hopefully, it's not online. We should get it
1: framed and set it into the club. I reckon. I reckon.
2: Uh, yeah, We'll try and keep that away from um, from the club. I think. But yeah, there was there was a nice little spread up in Wangrata. That looked after me in grand final week. Yeah, good dad, uh, How good's that,
1: mate? How good's that? So take us through. Take us through your job now at the Cats. Um, how you were explaining before when we, when we caught up for a coffee The difference between unfortunately during uh, when COVID hit People had to disappear from they had to cut, cut costs And people had to step away from the club But your role that you were doing over the, the last few years Working with age groups of the different players Just gives a spiel about how your whole role works Yeah
2: so um, at, at the Geelong Footy Club We've been lucky enough to have some phenomenal Player development managers, um, and a guy that I came in with through a personal relationship was Dave Johnson. Um, Dave, un- unfortunately, but fortunately for him, is no longer at the club. He's gone on um, to his own his own business um, that he's done. But he was at the club as a player for ten years and then a PDM for ten years. And the way we had had it set up when I came in, he looked after the first to third year players, and I looked up looked after the four plus year players. Um, since Dave's um, gone, Sean Griggs now come in um the ex richmond player and so he's our development coach but he's been able to do 0.5 development coaching and then also um some pdm work so he looks after those first year um players as well and yeah we just tend to break up the um the squad like that because of i guess the generalized differences that you face or the challenges that you face um as a player coming in your first year to those guys that transition out later in the year but um, essentially we focus on the individual athlete we don't have anything that's one size fits all um, so we have a big focus on the transition of the player and that's transition into the club and that's transition out of the club so transitioning in is, is really important how you um, on board someone will last um, with that person throughout their whole employment so we've got to make sure we've got a big focus on making sure we get that right um, and you know we create that relationship and get to know that person really, really early, get to know their family, um, and that'll assist us throughout their time in the game, whether it be a two-year career or a 15-year career. Um,
0: so you go
1: out and meet them, don't you?
0: Like you, you, tell before, you tell go, us a story. Yeah, you, t- you told us the story about you flying over to make sure you meet the parents and stuff like that. Like, How important is that, and why do you do that?
1: Yeah, for culture, too. I want to touch on it like in terms of why is it important for Cats culture, the culture there that you're trying to create, that, that you do do those things. Yeah,
2: so we heavily believe in... Um, in the player and there's other people involved in that player's journey. I mean, yes, we've decided to employ that particular player when we pick him with pick 15 and he comes to the Cats, um, but we want to get to know him and his story and he's not just the footballer who can kick well or run well. So, um, yeah, once we, we draft a player, um, previously it was, it was Dave and I and, and this year it was Sean, Greg and I, but we'll sit there and we'll watch the draft night and we'll get quite excited by it it's a buzz because you know you're about to change or the club is about to change the life of um, a young man, and uh, the next day we'll be on an aeroplane. We'll fly. We'll fly over. So, you know, the year before Dave, Dave Johnson and I, we um, drafted three kids from South Australia and, and a kid from um, Western Australia and, and Jordan Clark. So we sat there and we we're booking flights that night. And I flew to I flew to Western Australia to Perth to meet um, Jordan's parents, and Dave flew to South Australia to meet the, the three guys from South Australia, and we we spend time with. Um, their family, we go in their home. We know that the recruiters have done all their homework, but we're not about trying to find out whether they're the right player for us. We want to know what's going to make this young man tick, how we can support him. And if we see the home life that, um, or the family life that he lives in, that gives us um, a greater understanding of what type of host family we need to then put them in, um, with, what sort of support or resources we need to surround that young man um, to give them the, the best chance to ultimately play the best football they can. Um, but also grow and be the best person they can. So, um, yeah, and if we do have any issues and challenges along the way, we've already started to build a relationship with their mum and dad or whoever their carer might might be or their significant um, people in their life. So we can bring them along for the journey as well. And it's, we all support because um, there's no, again, there's no one size fits all or there's no one individual approach that you must do with everyone. Um, But really developing that, that deep rapport and deep understanding um, I think makes our job a lot easier when we, we do have a any issues that may pop up.
1: Mm.
0: Do, you, do you work with like other coaches and stuff? So if they say, say stuff's going wrong on the field and stuff, do they come to you and go, what's going on here? Or is it strictly confidential and stuff like that?
2: Um, ideally, player development or, or my aim or our aim at the football club is to have it embedded across the whole um, footy program. And... Um, it'd be highly arrogant of me to sit here and think I'm the only person that works in the wellbeing space or the development space. I guess at the footy club, we have a, you know, a, a culture. We're trying to create a culture where the entire organisation creates a, play, a safe place of wellbeing and high performance. Um, so that is exactly that. We would work with the coaches on the play. We'll go back and, well first the recruiting team hands over a lot of information to us about that player. So we've got a, a greater background. We then go learn more more ourselves and dig deeper. Um, and then we hand some of that over to the coaching team, to the high performance team, to the medical team. Um, so that we're all in it together. Now there will be confidential things that you don't. Absolutely. And my role is a role that has to be a lot of trust um, because I need to create a safe environment. The players feel safe to come to me and they, they've got a person that they can speak to openly um without it going anywhere but i'll work with that player on who who can we share this information with um who else can we bring along for the journey is there a specialist or a a different support person that we may need to bring in um to give you the best chance so it's
0: chatting about it and it's like the next steps forward like we need to this will help the situation kind of thing so it's like coaching him through it listening asking questions that's pretty sick it's unreal yeah
1: you're sitting there wearing um, you're looking good in the well being team yeah, too, I'll tell you right. now You've man. never looked better to be honest. But just... I, I want to touch on what you said there around like the cats are trying to create a culture around well being and high performance and for me that's just everything I stand for, everything I try and do, especially in the crossovers now with our new business at Wellbeing's group and what we're trying to do, coaching um, organizations and, and tech teams on exactly that, understanding how they work together, what makes them tick, how do they get engaged at work and I wanna to touch on for people who are listening in that different space what for you makes a culture of well-being and performance? I know you've got maybe this is an opportunity for you to give us your spiel on your domains.
2: Yep. Um, so yeah, and I'm going to preface this first by saying I'm not a professional or a specialist or an expert in the well-being space. So I'm not going to sit here and say that um, I am a psychologist or, or someone that's you know highly trained in this area. Um, and we at the club and through the AFLPA, we have a lot of external support um, networks and doctors and a club psych that are highly, um, are much more trained than I am in this area. Um, however, what I do believe I can do is, is be someone who will be there and actively listen, create a real two-way bond and rapport and, and do that. So I, I'm, what I'm saying is not necessarily um, correct, but it's what I believe in, and what works for us, and what I've seen works for us. So, yeah, we, I guess Dave Williams is actually our club psych, and he talks about this house of well-being, um, and it's something that I really believe in, and and it's around trying to create an environment where um, you you do try and create this place of well-being, and clearly in a football club we need to win games of footy, so there is a performance element to that as well. But we all know that if we're in a good space of well-being and and we're happy in that environment, the chances of a high performance, whether we're a football club, whether we're a bank, whether we're a school, or whether we're a household, we know it usually increases. So um, I guess some of the things that we work on um, is around creating a psychologically safe environment. Now, those guys need to be able to come into work and feel safe, feel protected, feel loved, feel like it's a place that they want to go to. So how we do that um, is then by trying to, trying to work on these three pillars where it's um it needs to have a place of control they need to have some form of empowerment they need to feel like they can make decisions like they are a voice um in the organization they can't just feel like they come in and get dictated to all the time um there has to be connections and you guys would know this better than me but we know um when our well-being's high um we're feeling the love we've got good family connections good friends um and i guess what 2020 showed us, when we lost some of those physical connections, we all went to different ways to stay connected and probably Zoom and, and other platforms like that have just gone through the roof. But we know that when we were feeling a bit down, if you probably did a bit of a uh, inward audit on yourself, you probably thought, I've, I've removed myself from my connections. Um, and it has to be enjoyment. I mean, yes, we've got to win and we've got to, win and we've got to try and win. I'm going to strive for another premiership this year. Um, but if the boys or even the staff aren't enjoying what they do, it's, it's just not going to last. It's not sustainable. So they're the things I guess we focus on, or the pillars that we focus on. And, and Dave Williams has been a really good um, mentor for me in, in that. But that goes club wide again. And, and our leaders at our footy club led from Brian Cook and, and Lloydie and, and Chris Scott all believe in that. And when your leaders believe in that, and even Joel Selwood and the um, on-field leaders, when you believe in that, it becomes reality um, and it makes makes our practice a lot easier to be able to do that. Um, you touched on the five domains, I guess that's what we do, or my area, the player development area, we do with our players when we develop and what we call an individualized program. Um, and this has got nothing to do with the on-field stuff. So, I guess through the AFL Players Association, they created um, a few years ago this what they describe as a max 360 and and each club and each PDM would would deal with it differently. But when we're setting our um, off field goals with our players, we look at five domains or five aspects of their life um, and where they are and, and how they're growing and developing in that across their journey. And we look at getting organized. So that's your home life, that's your Um, your reliability that's your outside interests Um, we look at learning and growth and I guess that sits in your education work experience networks your career readiness you know what are your interests what are your passions and then what are you doing to grow those along the journey Um, we look at your personal brand and developing a personal brand and again an individual brand you don't all have to be that um, traditional footballer is and I mean, social media plays a big part in that, the way you carry yourself in the media, carry yourself in the community. Resilience and thriving, which I guess is around the, the well-being, the welfare, where um, maybe years ago as a player development manager, you, you just focused on well-being. The thing for me, if you just do that, you mightn't touch the whole the whole squad. I mean, there's guys that are doing a great job, so how we keep developing them. And then financial ownership. And uh, again, like I said earlier, I'm not an expert, but it's about asking the questions of the players, challenging their thinking, find out who they're connected with, have they set goals, do they have a, an exit plan, have they got a financial strategy, or is it do you just earn your money and then one day you, you get um, delisted or retired and, and you've got to figure out how to live off a different wage. So all of those things, we think um, we try and cover that with our players and, and they set their goals accordingly to that
1: that's insane you have to be you'd have to really build a strong rapport and to, in order to get enough information to set those goals like what's your process of start? if you're working with a new player like new draftee when they come to the club how, how soon does this sort of happen like how, how quick is the process of going you're in this system now, we're going to take you through, we're going to set up a, a, a goal, we're going to set, set some goals, set some structure around you, and we're going to get moving. Like, How quickly does that happen?
2: Yeah, so the first bit you touched on there around developing the rapport is the, um, the absolute key because they're not just going to come out and start talking to me or talking to Sean Grigg or, or Dave Johnson previous to me and just open right up. Um, so that's where I guess that transition in um, is really important that 's why we go and visit their their families or you know they will go and speak to their school teachers and we think about where is the the common ground that we can start with, much the same as what Locke and I did eleven years ago he wasn 't going to go and trust a teacher because his previous experience to school probably wasn 't that great um, or it wasn't you know maybe he didn't look up to teachers then so we have to try and find common ground, and that might have been sport for us, or cricket, or footy, or whatever it might be. Or um, it's the same with the players. Yes, they all play footy, but they all come with, with um, you know, different passions and outside passions. So trying to really start to build that, let them know who you are. Um, I know a buzzword at the moment. A lot of a lot of sporting clubs is around vulnerability. Mine I probably like to use you know authenticity. So being authentic, letting them know who I am getting to, to understand and, and Grig is big on that as well um, and we'll spend that first month um, with them just really making sure they're comfortable in the environment um, making sure that they're connecting with their teammates connecting with their coaches feeling okay for those guys that have had to move in Geelong community their host families and then we probably start that process now mid to late January um, because we don't want the games to take over when we start to set their goals because mm really makes, um, I suppose, these players start to think about um, the footy and the on-field stuff. And we want to separate on-field and off-field because that's what the coaches and the high-performance staff are there. They're much smarter and and better than I am. But we want to make sure we um, remove any of that from our discussions.
0: Well, it's all footy, 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 isn't it? And if you're solely judged on if you're getting a kick or not, it's it's hard, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, you have to escape that sort of stuff. Like, I know, just speaking to a few people who have gone up to play in other states and they're from like melbourne it's like when you go there it's just like that's all it is you know what I mean? it's just footy and then you just come back you know or, or whatever you stay but it's not like you don't have your tribe up there you know what i mean now you're starting to see clubs like draft friends from certain areas together because they know if one's a gun and one's okay they can develop the other one if it's a, you know what i mean there's other th- like things to look at rather than just like pure just bang bang isn't it
2: absolutely and um yeah you see brisbane have done a great job where the I'd say their list management team have um have done it strategically, but they've got a lot of country Victorian boys up there, and look at the culture they're creating now. And I can only speak from an external point of view, but they just look happy and connected. When um, I talk about that that pillar of enjoyment, they look like they're enjoying themselves. And um, guess what happens? Their performance their performance really goes. So yeah, we've got to make sure that like everyone, they have a really rounded, non athletic identity, so that they don't just judge their their well being or their mood on whether they've won or lost or whether they've got a kick or not. Yeah.
1: Well, this is one of the things we were, we were talking about a couple of times now is the how times have changed around the, like the athlete and their personal brand or like athlete as an entrepreneur. Like the they look like they're dimensions. having
0: fun. Like the, you look over in the States and they're having fun and it's sort of like you said before, empowered to, that, that'll bring enjoyment too. Like we talk a lot too about people who like build their personal, you can curate your own story when you do that. You know what I mean? Like we are talking to other people who are playing and you're like, Imagine you could go off and just do your own Instagram and ask questions on your Instagram straight after the game, but then it's like sponsors and media sort of stuff. Does that sort of stuff have to loosen in terms of to get players to be able to go out and be a bit more entrepreneurial and, and build their personal brands online, I suppose?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's a massive growth area, and you blokes would know much better than I do. Uh, I know there's not a whole um, a huge gap in our age, Lucky, but in regards to tech savvy, um, it's one thing <laughs> I, I, didn't, savvy man. I didn't grab it yeah. or Robbie's got it. But yeah, um, got it. it's definitely yeah. a, a growth area for the players and the personal brands, absolutely. You look at the, the, um, the American sports stars and what they have and it'll be a fine line and a balance um, with our athletes, but I definitely think it's a, a space of growth um, and those guys that have got outside interest and, and use that part of their brand as well, like look at Paddy Dangerfield for instance, I mean people would know Paddy Dangerfield um, not even just as a player, the people um, with the brands he's associated himself with, his passion for, for fishing and the outdoors and it's great and you see the guy happy, you, you lose a game of footy, um, yes he's disappointed because he's a perfectionist but he's still happy because you know he'll go and grab his kids and he'll go surfing or he'll go fishing or he's got his other things in his life and he's got that brand. We've just got Jeremy Cameron on board now and he's, he's got his brand as his outdoor athlete um, and it's a separate identity to, to that of his football. But I think as the entrepreneur um, part of the, the players grow and that, that space grows, I think we should see and we will see um, more and more players add to their personal brand and And I guess you want your fans to fall in love with you. Um, And our media guy talks about that all the time. He talks about, basically, we want people to love you, um, love the team, and then love the player. So there's opportunities uh, for growth. Again, I'm not as savvy as I'd like to be, but it's a spot that I need to grow on. But again, it's ask the players questions, challenge them, link them in with the right people, link them in with guys like you to um, to do that. And I think the players' willingness to, to take that on now um, he's just growing and growing.
0: But you look at Mitch Robinson, you know, who's growing <laughs> up his Twitch channel and he's got the podcast and stuff. And he's a perfect example. He's probably like one of the ones that really stands out to me in terms of doing all the stuff like... He, pushed, terms, the, he pushed the barrier a little bit. And I barrier. think because he's a bit fearless too, you know what I mean? He is the way he is and he just doesn't really care what sort of people think. And that's why I respect that even probably more than his footy, you know what I mean? It's more like I love the way he just pushes it and says his opinion. It's
1: and Times definitely changed. I, I remember um, when I was playing... uh, this is one particular story I remember a lot was that Robin Nahas I haven't said Robin Nahas name In remember Robin Nahas I haven't said his name in ages first time I thought about it is now he was an absolute freak at Call of Duty like played Playstation was in the top like ranked top really and they had to they told him to stop playing you know and then then delisted him a year later you know but I think like you look back what he could have done and thinking about how they could have harnessed his passion into something different they said hey you've been a rookie you've come in you've gone a different way into this thing let's help set you up after footy and have you thought about doing this and positioning your brand this way I feel like it's looking now about how athletes like Mitch Robinson who's really I guess set the tone for what you can and can't do and help I guess steer the conversation towards more like well players are their own identity they have their own identity they are their own brand and whether they clubs want to like it or not That's they're the talent but yeah. the
0: grumpy coaches will be saying if they're not getting a kick and then they're out doing Instagram they're going imagine the spray you a going cop it training you know what I mean so it's it's about it it'll just it's is it timing you know with yeah. the people like that's... us as a coach being 50 60 we'd be like wrapped go, go do it because we understand how why it works so it's hard to get the old heads to sort of come around wouldn't it yeah is absolutely college, I think it? it's yeah.
2: it's definitely um, I mean you're just changing the the, the traditional mould of what a football was meant to be but I my only experience is um, Chris Scott and one thing I would say about Chris Scott is um, he loves to give his players power um, or empower them and he really encourages players to be individuals. Um, for me, I think that's one thing that's really stood out to me is is how much he trusts his players, empowers his players to be who they want to be and then and he encourages it as well, um, which I think is great. And I think time, as you say, will, will grow It'll become more of the norm because you'll start to see a lot more of that the next generation coming through. I mean, we've got Cam Deheny at the club, um, who's a young second-year player who loves his TikTok. Um, He loves the media, loves the social media type of stuff, and he's got a real passion for it, so let's encourage it. And I know Sean Grigg Grigg recently um, connected him with our media team to try and grow that passion. Why he's not playing? He's out injured at the moment. Uh, it's an opportunity where maybe ten years ago you would have said he's a second-year player. Let's keep him away from the um, keep him away from the media team and just tr- hide him and just stick to the footy. Um, we've got an opportunity to try and grow his passion um, mm. a little bit and unearth his talents.
0: Well, you're going to get you're more likely to get a kick if you're happy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like you were saying before, like imagine that you can't do that and you're not getting a kick. You're going to live inside your own head. Things aren't like on-field performance are going to suck. Your life outside of sport's gonna suck, and then I suppose once you finally once it all ends, it's like, what is my identity now? You know what I mean? Like I could have, I've, I have an audience now where I can actually capitalize on it, and and you know I might not ever get that opportunity again. I know it was like like that for you, wasn't it?
1: A hundred percent. I look back and I I lived in in in, in my way. I didn't do anything outside of footy. I went to I went to footy, and I came home. I didn't drink. I didn't go out. I didn't do it. Like it. I just come back and then I was out, but it was still felt didn't have psychological safety. I didn't have empowerment to do me. I was a rookie on the list of what it was. And there was people in there that did a good job of helping. And they've definitely turned, if you, what's that book called? Turn that, that thing, turn the ship around. You seen that one? It's nah. i uh, I'll send you a link to the YouTube afterwards. It talks about how they change the culture of this Navy ship and by the captain empowering all the people to make their own decisions. It's funny because I think it's pretty much exactly you look from it. I mean, as an outsider looking in, it's what ha- happened with Richmond's culture. Pe- Peggy Peggy, o- Peggy O'Neill, Peggy O'Neill, O'Neill, O'Neill yeah, d- yeah, she's done a lot of work to really change behaviours in that organisation. And I can only talk from what I experienced when I was first there, and it, it didn't have those things that existed in in a, the culture that represents high performance and well being. And you can see there, they Richmond were the ones that were doing all the smiles and happiness yeah. and shit when they were. Yeah. in the huddle before games. And that was a complete change up before like laser focused. And I was not, I look back and I go, well, I was not that, I was not that person. I was not like, a, I love footy. I was a competitive person. I don't like to lose, but I was never like locked in, still angry. Mm. I'm not an angry person. No. You know, like I, I can't pretend to be something that I'm not. And that's where I felt the, the disconnect from my experience and footy was. Like no one knew what made you tick. And no one knew what made you. me tick, or yeah. what what motivated me. And instead I just felt like I was, um, it was almost the opposite mm-hmm. I was they were angry that I couldn't be a tough chest beating thing but I'm, I'm not that player. Player. I'm 5 foot 9 62 kilos you know and right? I kick snags from anywhere and do I don't tackle and I, and, I, and, I play, and I play video games and I I'm a, I'm a nice guy that's it it's nice to know that there's
0: well it looks like we've got so deep and bad that they had to change it and they changed it so dramatically where it was like they went all in like didn't he, didn't Damian Hardwick have to go to like Harvard, Harvard school of leadership or something like that I think there's a course that maybe if they you They sent him on an
1: authentic leadership course to learn about emotional intelligence and it's funny because it's I know we we're not, we're not going to sit here and talk about politics but it's the same thing like it's a huge cultural shift that's happened with people who are in positions of power and I think you look at it, even Scott Morrison, having a $190,000 empathy coach to try and teach the Prime Minister about what empathy is, and you think, you're fucking kidding. Do I one, one day a week there, what do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, That's <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> job, <laughs> huh? How yeah. do you get like that? Go get that He's job. He's got an, an empathy coach. He did. Jeez. After I think it was after the bushfires they because he the way his responses and shit were... he we well, just see right.
0: the way the world's working like the space that you're in it must be exciting for you because now you're like there's there's obviously more opportunities going to arise in that space and um, developing plays even further even if you're staying at the cats for however long you know what I mean like the opportunity and I suppose the openness and people like turning the tide and listening more and taking action from what you're saying it must feel good oh it does it's
2: it feels good and it feels good from reflection from being um a teacher as well like I look now and and see what you're doing and how you've developed in the um the 11 years and the influence that you guys are now having there's another story of a a student I had at Cedar Michael Condi who's also at the footy club now um and what Mick's doing now at the footy club is is phenomenal and the way he's going and there's so many other stories it just isn't inside um the sports world but it's encouraging I guess the thing that's going to excite me is if I'm still being a PDM in another five, six, seven years is where the players that have transitioned out of the game, where they get to. Like mm. I've got the opportunity now to self-reflect or look back on where some of the students from Cedar, Cedar Days have gone. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to see where some of the players um, have gone and what they've gone on to do. And yes, the football chapter was a phenomenal part of their, their chapter or their book, but... Um, but what are the other things they've got to do? And you see them as parents and you see, we're lucky at the Cats, we've got a lot of dads in our group. but So that's part of their identity. But what else do they do? And um, I can't wait to see those journeys um, as well. And I reckon that's, that's a really cool part of my job is to, as I said, I don't change lives. I get to play a part in asking questions and, and being curious about that player to let them make their changes. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to years down the track to go back and say wow look what harry taylor's now done wow look what jackson thurlow's now doing or ryan abbott's now doing um you know so I and think that's, that's where like
0: people would see the results of your work that wouldn't they, and go geez you know like these these group of guys who transitioned out like the last five years under they were all on the straight and narrow like compared to maybe the last couple of years and that's when it's like damn you know and he's doing a really good job and you know you can sort of see yeah you can see it sort of come to fruition talk
1: talk about that for us like the transition for what your role is in helping an athlete transition from I guess the identity aspect of being an athlete and then moving out into shit that chapter of my life is closed what do I actually do with myself now and I think when we spoke about it last time you, you mentioned coming back to having those other interests and passions so that you're not um, not not it's not lost. going in blind, yeah. you know. Like you're not you're not surprised. Starting from starting from the bottom,
0: you know. I'm going. Oh, now I need to mind map what my interests. Are it's like no, I know what I, sort of areas I need to be in. Is that it?
2: Yeah, and that's I guess probably the first point I'd like to make is that when we do talk about that, um, and we said earlier around the the whole organisation or the culture of the organisation, well-being, it takes the entire organisation to help a player transition. In my eyes, so. Really, like it's led from Scotty's um, or Chris Scott's um, philosophy of empowering the person and and creating individuals. It's led from the way um, Brian Cook is a values-driven leader. Um, Colin Carter, who is is just our outgoing president at the moment, and we've got Craig Drummond come in, but Colin Carter's first question to any new player we had is tell me what the 38-year-old... Um, Robbie Hicks is going to be like you know and the kids just got drafted or we've just traded them in and that's the first question our president used to ask as well so from the day we transition to play in be it trade or or be it um, drafted we start their transition out which sounds really weird you know and often the players will all go um, oh yeah there's always that old past player that says it'll go within the blink of an eye and then you have that conversation with the player at the end of their career and they go my career went within the blink of an eye so that's why we do those action plans that's why we talk about the five domains of their life um, so that we start to get a real understanding and we expose them to either educational opportunities networking opportunities um, businesses work placements um, other successful people so that they've started to create a bank of network, a bank of skills, a bank of experiences that when they come out at the end, they could either pick the phone up and say, hey, remember when I did that work placement with you? Is there any jobs? Or you know what? I know my passion is in the fashion industry. I'm going all out after the fashion industry, whatever that passion might be. But you've got, however long their career is, you've got an opportunity to try and start to develop those passions, develop those interests, develop those experiences. Um, Notwithstanding that footy is still their number one priority with family, um, but you can't just play your whole career focused solely on football and then one day get the tap on the shoulder and say, it's all over, mate, and then think you're just going to step into a job. It won't happen. And the one thing that will be challenged the most in my eyes is their identity because their identity has only ever been a footballer. Um, and they've been almost what you could call institutionalised. They grew up, they went to school, that's dictated by a bell or a timetable. They then get drafted. They come into a footy program that has a schedule that sits on their phone or their iPad, um, and they're told where to be, when to be, um, where the program that we create is is looser. It's got more player empowerment to assist with that. But the day you finish, the bell stops, the school bell stopped, or the, the football schedule stopped. You need to create that themselves, so that non-athletic identity is um, is really important.
0: Well, it seems like no wonder why it's a destination club. You guys are successful on the field, but off the field, it seems like people know that they're getting looked after and cared for. So it you just it goes to show why Geelong Football Club is such a success, though. You know, compared to other clubs, like it seems like you've built it up, or the guys, you know, built it up over the number of years to create that culture. And it sort of seems like you get similar players in, like that replace the the other players, like a few older heads and stuff. Is that? important to keep the culture the way it is like the magic the juju I suppose the drawing juju
2: yeah I suppose and I think um, most good organisations or places are at the strength of their people that's what I believe I think good people make good places Um, and that's important it starts with your staff and um, led from Brian Cook and his executive team and and who they go after and um, he has a philosophy um, in regards to recruitment and who they recruit and and I think a lot of it's driven on values Um, that goes the same with Chris Scott Simon Lloyd is our GM and, and probably Stephen Wells with the list management team they focus on the same thing and it would be it'd be driven down from, from the um, game plan I guess you like from Cookie um, and the executive or the directors um, and that that's it I mean we're lucky at Geelong we're a one club town I think that it has a huge advantage mm-hmm. um, it's a real community based town you guys live down here now you know what it's like it's, it's again it's almost a safe community we talk about having a psychological safe community environment in the footy club i feel like geelong's like a safe community you know you're within 10 minutes of your teammates you know that if you've got a partner or kids you know they're going to be able to connect in with the other ones and and that's hugely attractive for um hugely attractive for players um that are especially you've got young families and and i mean we have had a successful on-field performance that must help Mm. um we are lucky sort of from 05 onwards um, the guys have played a lot of finals they've got some premierships, we've got a lot of stars um, around the club still that keep that success, so the success definitely helps, but I do think um, the people that you have in your club, from your staff to your players um, breeds that culture, and we bring you guys in this year, we've brought in um, Sean Higgins, Isaac Smith and, and Jeremy Cameron. Wise heads Wise heads, great people first and foremost, I don't really I'm not, I'm not a coach. I don't know the on-field stuff. I've only experienced these guys as people. We haven't played a game yet. Clearly, I've been able to watch their careers previously. But they are phenomenal people. Mm-hmm. And I can see why Wellesley, Scotty, and the list management team, Lloydy, went after those guys in particular. Because they are just going to absolutely value add to
1: our um, to our footy. I might go to Sean Higgins' um, jersey this <laughs> <Is> he <laughs> year. Yeah, He's a gun. Sean Higgins, he can oh, play. Can it's play. Skills. You go for
0: Geelong now, don't you? Yeah, he used to be man. he used to be an Essendon man and now he's changed to a Cat's man.
1: Well, I didn't have a team. That's let's I yeah. went for Essendon up until yeah seventeen. Yeah. And then didn't have a team and then when I moved down here last year. Felt the community vibes. Felt the community vibes. Like, on, I, I won on the it. Cat's bandwagon. I didn't you know? get in the hoops. Are you all lucky?
0: Are you with us? I'm Brisbane man, but I'll, I've got a soft spot for the dogs and the cats. Now, like obviously through like starting all this and getting to know like a bit more behind the scenes of how the organisation works, I have like mad respect for Geelong. You know what I mean? Like, and that's that it's it in a different light. Not just the footy stuff and the players and all that. Don't get caught up in that. It's more like now you can see it's a good organisation. They treat their people well. It's just like anyone um, working wherever they work. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what you do, a footy club, whatever. It just feels like. There's a bit of juju in Geelong, and it's uh, it's not going away anytime soon, is it? Because you've you've picked up what like you said, some some absolute jets this year, and chasing another the flag.
2: Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, I'll I'll leave the uh, on-field stuff to the people that are far more experts at it than me. But yeah, you'd you'd hope to uh, keep challenging, and I know that's what Chris and the team want to do. They want to keep challenging. I know the players want to do it. I know Joel's desperate to keep um, keep winning and have another go. And and the young boys will keep pushing them. So yeah, I mean the competition's phenomenal now. Yeah. I do think the competition's just—it's yeah. insane yeah. with how good these athletes are. they aren't they? It's
0: different to when you were playing though back in the day. a oh, complete
2: different game, isn't it? It's completely different game. I look at it now. And clearly, I wasn't an elite athlete, but. You start to think, I, oh, you know, I was okay. I watch these boys at training, and they are fast. They are strong. They are powerful. Yeah. Like I'm no chance. So <laughs> I'm happy just to fall back in the hole and say so I like playing. Um, yeah, I, was, I like playing junior
0: footy because these blokes, they're beasts. Well, I look at the basketball now, and I'm like, it doesn't even. You could be the best six foot player ever. You probably still wouldn't get a gig, you know, because you can't compete with the size of some of these players. It's just you reckon, you, you reckon you'd get a kick now if you played, didn't you? There's more smalls A bit of an, outside, bit of an outsider There's game. There's more smalls
1: now. Heaps more smalls. Yeah, smalls. true. true. We, have, we had one of the smalls, Caleb Daniel. Yeah, true. is the smallest. He's the smallest. And yeah. He, they just go, oh, we realise got good skills. Let's, let's give him he the ball and we'll let him kick it
0: huh? So, the, the game has evolved over the years, I suppose, and the types of, I suppose the diversity now with football too, like in terms of culture and stuff like that, like now you're getting um, players from all different types of backgrounds and nationalities come in to a, you know, an Australian sort of culture. Have you have you seen that? How have you seen that? So exciting. Yeah. Um, even the introduction of AFLW, like yeah.
2: mate. you walk through the hallways and I mean, I'm, I'm in its infancy in regards to elite sport. I've been at the club for five years now, um, but you walk through the hallways of the footy club now and you've got the aflw you've got the vflw you've got the vfl mans and the afl program all intertwining working together you sit down at the um the computers where the players do their personal edits and you've got joel selwood doing edits with olivia purcell like it's, it's phenomenal they work on their midfield craft um together you've got um guys from um many different nationalities now playing the game and how exciting is that Look. Like, I'd pay money to walk through the door and watch Aliyah Ali play. I think he's mm. just um, unbelievable. I think the growth in um, understanding of um, other people's upbringings and the empathy for what people have gone through to get to where they get to. Um, the story. Be, yeah. The story yeah. is, is amazing. I mean, guys like Basha Hawley, I think is is just phenomenal. Um, what he's done for the for the footy world and the understanding of us. I think things like Multiculture Round and um, the Sir Doug Nicholas Round is Unbelievable to actually hear the stories of those guys and what they've gone through and create a greater understanding of um, people's lives and i think yeah the more diverse the game continues to be um, the next wave of people coming through i think we're going to be more empathetic and understanding of different cultures different backgrounds um, race religion sex all of that Um, we're all different people and we and we come together for that common love of football, and I guess what that's what you and I did eleven years ago. We 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 created common ground, and from that um, we grew. And that's what footy does; it brings so many unbelievable people together from all walks alive. And I think it's exciting, like um, to, mm. to see more of it. And yeah, I want to see more. We've got you know Stefan from from Ireland, and um, I think his father's Nigerian. Um, hope I got that right, and Gee. I mean to chat to him is just it's remarkable um, what he talks about and his experience and his journey to to get on an AFL list is it's Ooh. crazy.
0: Yeah, compared to other people who might have that traditional pathway and stuff, and other people are just hustling. You know what I mean? It's all different, and I suppose yeah, everyone's
1: unique in this, and they've got a different story to tell. I can't believe that you've got that Joel Selwood's doing edits with the what was her name? Sorry, Olivia Purcell. So he's sitting there like, what? A, it's a good club, you know. Yeah. There's a reason why it's a good club. Well, we talk about
0: like local clubs all the time now, and you can see the ones that are failing are the ones that are still the boys' club. It's not the family club, you know what I mean? It's the we've won the flags, we do all this. This is what we are, and stuff like that. And you see the real. Where did we go? I forget what team it was, but we went in there and they had drinks at halftime for everyone. You know, even if you were from the other team. We went Free to drinks, Sunshine Footy Club. Sunshine actually, Footy Club, and I, I don't know anyone from Sunshine or anything like that. But it was more like, wow, I could see why people are sticking around, and this is a, it's a good club. I just it was, it was unexpected yeah compared to like growing up where it was just like get out and do that thing iPod shuffle night you know what I mean it's,
1: you know like silly Sunday yeah that's yeah. crazy yeah I
2: think it's sports sports such a unique um, place it just brings so many together and I yeah. think people have grown past just the, the boys clubs now or winning at all cost I yeah. get it and an elite athlete and at an elite environment yes winning's really really important so
0: I don't want to take away the shine for that but there's so much more to it, isn't there? Well, there's um, cash in local sports now too. Like the big sponsors are just pumping money and it. it's like, you need to win. You know, There's all these different types of pressures
1: now, isn't it? Yeah, there is. It's, it's crazy. crazy. Well, let's touch one thing at a time. Fi- let's oh. fix the top of the thing. Before <laughs> yeah. <this. laughs> yeah. yeah. So, hey, what have been your biggest challenges since tackling this role? So jumping from being a, a, an educator over to your role here at the Cats, what have been your personal biggest challenges? It's
2: uh, a great question. It's um, a good question. I think my personal life, and we, we shared it really earlier on, I am a, a, a father. Um, got and have a team. Got I've a got team. a team. I've almost got a basketball team. <laughs> yeah. um, we've got, Lou and I have got four kids. Um, so we've got Bo, six, Mimi, four. And then we had twin boys that are 18 months old now, Ernie and Ted. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, having four kids and having the challenge of that. Lou and I are both from the country originally. Lou's from a little town called Corrine in New South Wales, just out of Corowa. And I'm um, Wangaratta, so both of our families are still there. Um, so I guess juggling that family that family life and, um, you know, I'm talking to the players around having a good balanced family life and professional life and then making sure I do the same, that's definitely a challenge. Um, you know, not not playing the game at the elite level as well, is just being able to work through other ways to create poor. But I think that actually helps because my biggest thing is I'll say to the players when we're sitting down I'm not talking about your game or your wins and loss or your form because I'm not the expert Scalo's the expert in that Boris is the expert in that let's talk about you um, so yes it was a challenge when I first went in there because I probably like everyone got those butterflies and that level of anxiety of you know how am I going to be judged when I walk into the, walk into the club is is Joel going to respect me is Paddy going to respect me um, when I haven't done it before um, so what was a challenge at the start I think is a real advantage um but, yeah, I think I must admit I haven't had a lot of challenges in that because I have felt so welcome from the start. Um, I love living in Geelong. I think the community of Geelong is awesome. Um, and our playing group, I must admit, he's, if I get a chance to give him a public shout out now, the playing group we have at Geelong is, is phenomenal um, and super respectful. And I think that was highlighted again last year during the hub um, of how much our players bought into the staff and their families and the respect that they. Um, showed them, I think, was amazing again. So, um, yeah, probably a couple of challenges, but also they've they've turned into to wins for me as well, I think. What was like
0: hub life like then? You mentioned, yeah, like the families and all that were up there and um, you saw on the news, you know, you see other clubs that might have struggled a little bit, but it seems like you guys sort of had this sort of stuff in place where you knew kind of, like you were saying, the stories and you had that connection. Did it just amplify that even more?
2: Yeah, it did. And it wasn't with, without challenges. Um, I think everyone's had them because you know, you're told that you're going to go away for 30 days, 32 days, I think. And, um, I was 116 days away. Um, and you took away the second tier competition, which I think was really difficult for probably player 20 to to 44, where they couldn't, you know, challenge for selection because they didn't have that opportunity. But I think the one thing for me or the silver lining for me was the connection that was across the entire club. Like players saw what staff were sacrificing, um, Family saw what their husband was sacrificing in regards to the player. Um, for talk for myself, I saw what my wife was going through at home. I mean, we we bought and sold a house in the time while I was away. Um, <laughs> you love making it hard on yourself, don't you? Hey? <laughs> we had the uh, we had the twins at home. I mean, it was lockdown as well, so Lou couldn't get a lot of care. Um, so yeah, there was some challenges there, but I think that's grown a greater strength or appreciation or admiration for me back to my wife and. I think every person involved in the hub could, could tell a different story or a similar story. and The AFL did a phenomenal job. I mean, it was challenging. We've got no history to go back on. We've got nothing to refer to. Um, and I think our club did a great job too, led from our leaders. Um, but, yeah, there was there was definitely some challenges. But if I'm honest, I'll look back and go, I'll learn a lot of things too. And I think um, whatever challenge gets thrown at us now, you can sort of say, hang on a minute, we... Even society, we 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 got through twenty twenty as a society. Um, How good are we? Let's pat ourselves on the back. Give yourself a bit of reward, um, you know, and, and be kind to yourself a little bit. And that's probably the thing I took out of it was be more empathetic for other people. You know, ask a few more questions, get a better understanding of what they're going through, and then if you get a chance, you know, pat yourself on the back and say we
0: did good well done 100% yeah. what, about, what about like for a first year player last year I don't know what the names were are, or anything like that yep. but coming into the system going oh this is AFL we're just we're away this is it would feel like school camp wouldn't it
2: yeah I think I reckon <laughs> probably the first year's it was probably not a bad thing because they had three meals a day, all, yeah, all buffet, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, they got to sit yeah. at the table and eat with the, eat with their teammates, um, <laughs> yeah. they got their washing done, they got their beds changed. Did you
0: get your washing done, all that sort of they stuff? snuck
2: the washing in, yeah, although there was oh, a few issues, few issues with a bit of clothes going missing and some, <laughs> oh, really? some yeah. shrinking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I reckon the first year boys, uh, they, they would have absolutely loved it. And yeah. The connection piece was really good for those guys. But then again, they also had their challenges because you got interstate guys that couldn't get home and see mum and dad or mm. couldn't get home and see their brother and sister or it might have been their mate's 18th or um, you know, special special events in their life that you couldn't do. So again, there were some challenges with it, but there were some also some really good opportunities where um, people got to grow.
0: I think it helped that everyone was going through it. It would have felt like if it was just your club, you know, it's everyone against this kind of thing. Like, but I feel like... Having, like, you see, even like the biggest stars in the world, they all everything's put on hold, you know what I mean? There's no special treatment for anyone. I feel like it grounded a lot of people, you know. Yeah,
2: it did. I reckon that's where that level of understanding and empathy for other people really came in because everyone was grounded, everyone's life did change. Just because we're in the AFL, we weren't the only people that you know suffered job loss or job cuts or mm. or had to move away, everyone was doing it. So, you know, the first question you'd ask to people, you know, how how are you affected by COVID? And, and get a sense of them before you started to complain about your own, your own situation. (laughs) And, um, you know, I thought that was really good. One thing I I probably took away from was the connection with the other clubs. Even that, I reckon that was really cool. Like a cool bond. Like my wife and kids were lucky enough to come up in the third hub. Um, and they hubbed with, with families from other clubs. And Mm. I know Lou who hasn't had a lot to with the, the footy club and, and other wives are similar. All of a sudden started to talk and connect with, um, wives of other, other staff at other clubs or even some other players. or you'd see the kids playing in the playroom together and you're like, there's Richmond, Western Bulldogs and Geelong kids all playing together. Like, this is, this is pretty cool. Or you'd go down in the morning to, to get a coffee um, from the coffee place. And, you know, there was the, the coaches from um, Bulldogs were there and the president from... Richmond's there or, you know, some of the players there. The chat, yeah. And you're all hanging out and having a chat and there's Steve Hawking from the AFL, all in the same room and um, it was kinda of like, you know, we're all in this together and yes, we'll do what it takes to, to keep the game going. Um, pretty but, cool experience. Yeah, it was cool.
1: Yeah. That's a cool experience. I think it's
0: gonna change the this crop of people for it'll probably change your AFL players forever, wouldn't it? In terms of like you said, the understanding connection with the other players, like respect for other teams and, and what the process on how they do it and give a deeper insight into, like you said, the person. It's kind of like it was just sort of, yeah, forced. It's crazy. Mate, this has been such an unreal chat. I told you, it was good. I told you, <laughs> I told you, and you didn't want to come on. You're a bit, you're a bit like, no, nah, I don't. Yeah, care.
2: well, I look at some of the bios of some of your other guests, and they're they're far more articulate, oh. uh, articulate, and educated than I am, and. I I felt a little inferior, no, and I was worried about your viewership going down. No, so,
0: mate, don't have to stress, a, mate. That a, was
1: an absolute belter of a conversation. I can't wait to release this.
0: You're a humble man, Mark Worthington. Really appreciate you uh, coming over to Robbie, sitting in his bedroom, and giving us the spiel and, and sharing a bit of your journey and some of your insights. Because, um,
2: people, yeah, people need to hear it. People
1: need to hear
0: it. Hundred percent.
2: Thanks, boys. Love the time and love what
0: you're doing.
1: Tell you what, I I love Worthington.
0: Yeah, you, there's a bit of a man crush there. You've been telling me ever since you, you first met him that we just need to keep hanging out with this guy. He is the king, isn't he?
1: I can see why you and Mish and Jimmer and that all loved him as a teacher back when he was reasonably young. Reasonably he's, still, he's still young now, but you know he's a young yeah. teacher looking after you knuckleheads.
0: Uh, he had a bit of swag back then too. He didn't mind the old head wobble coming into class. He was just—he was almost too cool for school and he was a teacher.
1: You know? I'll tell you what though, he put us to shame yesterday. He tried on the Wellbeing t-shirt and he took it off and I didn't, didn't mention anything, but his, his, his rig was phenomenal. Yeah. I know. As soon as he said, Oh, you're looking good, mate. He just took the top off. I go, mate, it's all good. You know what he, I mean? I'm like, trying to uh, record the podcast. You don't have to sit here with your shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> He's in good Nick though, isn't he? He is in good Nick. I He's tell you he. what, what a good man. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and you've taken a lot out of it because there are some absolute nuggets of gold in here. If you do like this episode and you're interested uh, in learning more, listen to the old episodes.
0: simple as that
1: that's it and tell a friend send this episode to a mate because they need to know they do need to
0: know good night goodbye